bulletin is from the Press Radio Bureau. We interrupt this program to bring you a special report. Coming to you from the East Bay in beautiful Northern California, it's the Frame Lab Podcast with Dr. George Lakoff and Gil Duran. In this episode, we discuss how Trump uses Twitter to control the media, and Dr. Lakoff answers your questions. Here we go. Hello, and welcome to the Frame Lab Podcast, episode two. Hey, George. Hi, Gil. It's been a pretty big week. We launched our podcast last week. We were hoping we'd get about 100 listeners, and we got thousands of listeners from over 50 countries, uh, Latvia, South Africa, the United Arab Emirates, the UK, the Netherlands, Japan, Spain, Italy, Canada, Poland, you name it. Well, one of the wonderful things about that is that the ideas we're talking about are relevant in all of those countries, and I'm glad to hear that. Uh, However, I, I also think it may be the case that because I've been doing linguistics for over 50 years uh, and that there are linguists in every one of those countries, <laughs> that they may know the name, and that uh, also the linguistics I've been doing for a long time points out why linguistics matters for their, everyone's political condition. And that has been discussed in conferences in all these regions. So I think it's important to understand that, uh, you know, linguistics and studying how people think and how they, how they express those thoughts matters for politics. And I think the reason that this is out there in 50 countries is not merely that they happen to see the political things, but I think they see them through the way people think and through uh, that, that mechanism. And that's very encouraging. Definitely. Um, you also have a lot of fans, I've noticed, in Iran on Twitter. Their metrics don't show up for the podcast, but I'm sure there are many of them out there listening, and we'll talk a little bit more about Iran later in this episode. But right now we wanted to talk about what we did this week that got a lot of notice. We took on the social media culture and the media culture in which anything that Trump tweets becomes instantaneous news. Many people who watch your Facebook or Twitter pages will be familiar with your taxonomy of Trump tweets as well as the accompanying list of ways to respond without playing into Trump's game. But what we did this week was George put together a tweet storm and we sent it out and it ended up becoming, George, your biggest Twitter event ever. I think we're up to 27,000 retweets. Um, just on the main tweet, I mean, the rest of them got thousands as well. Chuck Todd called, Newsweek called. Uh, this generated, for a few tweets, um, a lot of attention. And people were really interested in how you have categorized these tweets and the things you're saying about why it's important not to fall for the trick. So what is the trick with Trump's tweets? Trump may not be uh, a great genius, but he is a super salesman, and he's been selling for over 50 years. And he knows that one of the secrets to selling is to dominate the news, to get his brand out there, to get his framing out there, to get his understanding of the world out there. And he does this by making sure that every day he is the news. 
he is, you know, because whenever he tweets, he has a strategy. The strategy is one uh, of four things and maybe a combination of those four things. The first is preemptive framing, to frame the thing, frame an issue first himself. You know, uh, he should have uh, won, won the popular vote. Uh, he really did, but there were five million, uh, you know, illegal aliens voting uh, for Hillary or something like that. You know, he puts these things out there uh, as, you know, in order for him to frame it first mm-hmm. and get that idea out there, uh, especially for his, for, um, his followers because mm-hmm. they give his followers a justification. So that's the first thing. And also, because of people who don't like the framing, they get to argue against it, keeping him at the center stage. So it doesn't matter if you're for or against what he what he's doing, you know, you keep him at the center of attention, and that always helps him. So the tweets are first, preemptive framing. Second, diversion. So if uh, there is uh, a net coming, you know, uh, to get him, he has all sorts of things on the Russia investigation are pointing more and more toward uh, both collusion and also uh, uh, toward money laundering, uh, uh, which, you know, in a a remarkable way is maintaining his whole empire. Uh, That is getting tighter and tighter. uh, And... um, you know, uh, so what he does is create diversions, uh, either by, uh, you know, attacking North Korea or uh, saying that Huma Abedin should be locked up or whatever. You know, do something that may be irrelevant to these things and is somewhat outrageous. And um, you uh, put that out there as a trial balloon, but also it diverts attention. And it diverts attention only if people pay attention to it. And that's the main thing. When he's diverting attention from these things, what needs to be done is not allow your attention to be diverted, to stick to the main issues, the issues he doesn't want discussed. So that's crucial. The other, di- the other part of this is what I call deflection, that is attack the messenger. So it's the fake news New York Times, or whoever is saying this, uh, you know, Steve Bannon comes out and attacks him and uh, he says Bannon has lost his mind, etc. You know, attack the messenger is the, a very common thing that he does. He's been attacking a lot of messengers and they all used to work for him. Yes, exactly. He always <laughs> hires the best people to attack later, apparently. Yes, but he's, you know, you know, uh, you know uh, attacked Michael Flynn for being a liar. You know, uh, I fired him for lying. You know, uh, and so on. So you can't believe anything he says. I can't and, wait for him to deny that he's Ivanka's father. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that can come along soon. Who, Jared? Who's that? You know, but uh, that is uh, you, know, you know Steve Bannon. I barely he he didn't play any role in my presidency. You know, all of this stuff uh, is normal for him, but it's a, an attack, the messenger, and a deflection to deflect attention away from what is being said. And the trial balloons are to say the most outrageous things that you can say. Uh, you know, everybody, every country should have nuclear weapons. Uh, we need, a, you know, to increase our nuclear arsenal, things like that. Uh, but many more things, many more outrageous uh, ideas that come out regularly to test public reaction to it, to see whether it can get any traction. And, and often these things go together. This is what he does 
He does it strategically, not because he's a genius and consciously knows all this stuff, but because as a super salesman, he knows that how to control the media. And he does it uh, instinctively, and he does it strategically very well. People think seem t- sometimes are resistant to these ideas because they think we're saying that Trump is a genius and he's brilliant and he doesn't have the capability. But we'd like to make it clear to everyone that the fact that Trump has an instinctual ability at a very high level to sell himself and to manipulate the media does not necessarily contradict the idea that he's a narcissist or that he's incompetent or that he's insane or whatever you want to call it. The effect that he has through his tactics, which may just be ingrained in his neurocircuitry, are the same whether or not he has all these other diagnoses. Exactly. I mean, he's functioning as a salesman, and this is one of the ways he functions as a salesman for himself. He's selling his himself, his ideas, his views of the world, his policies. That's what he's always doing, constantly. And these are the strategies, the ways that a salesman would do this. Now, the other thing that one of my colleagues pointed out to me some time ago is that he has all the symptoms of having a reading disability. And everybody knows he doesn't read. He gets all of his news from watching TV. He doesn't read reports and so on. And it could very well be that he has always had a a reading disability. And as a result, uh, it is pointed out that he doesn't know stuff that's in reports. He doesn't read history. He doesn't know history. He doesn't know all sorts of things. That is, uh, the people who called him morons, etc., are people who called him morons not on the basis of his ability to control the media. I mean, they don't say, oh, you can't, you're not controlling the media. Quite the opposite. It is that he doesn't know the content of, uh, of policy areas. And that's true. He doesn't know the content of policy areas. And that's very different. Being, being ignorant is different from uh, being uh, unable to control the media. And that's something he's been doing really effectively. And that was our point. He's been controlling the media with the tweets. Every time he tweets, and we say this not only in the tweet storm, but in the op-ed we wrote that'll be in Sunday's Sacramento Bee, and it's already online, and I'll put a link to it in the Twitter notes, he can count on an instant reaction, an instant global reaction, Every time he tweets, whatever he wants you to think about is suddenly what everyone in the world has to think about because of the way news, uh, social media influencers, and politicians react to him. And basically what he's doing is being a puppeteer, uh, and his tweets are like the strings, and we're the puppets. Anybody who gets outraged by his tweets and then goes off and tweets back or uh, or writes on Facebook or uh, goes on the news and talks about their outrage at his tweets is helping him by making him larger than life, by making him the center of attention. And people sometimes misunderstand what you're saying there. They think you mean ignore Trump and you can't ignore Trump. He's the president. But that's not the point. The point is to think before you tweet. I think when, when I think about what your advice is to people, I always think of when you were when I was a kid. They taught you, you know, if you're on fire, you stop, drop, and roll. You know, you, there was this one, two, three. If you ever catch on fire, luckily I never did. But if I did today, I would know to stop, drop, and roll. When Trump is trying to get you to pay attention to some ridiculous or terrifying or out of left field thing, you have to stop and look at what else is in the news, 
or is about to be in the news. Because what we saw this week was that there was a lot of Russia news and this blow up with Bannon pending, and Trump was throwing everything he could out on Twitter. And if you read The Art of the Deal, which I actually recommend if you really want to know about Trump, read the book he wrote with Tony Schwartz, he brags about his ability to keep multiple balls in the air as a deal maker and a salesman because you never know what's going to stick or what's going to fail. And so he's sort of trying to do with his social media power, which is a very powerful weapon, unlike we've ever seen, unlike any we've ever seen, um, what he did in real estate. I don't think it's working the same way, but it is capturing attention. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he's still working as a salesman, and he knows how to do that very, very well. And as so every time that uh, you then uh, uh, get angry and say, oh, this is horrible thing that he said, etc., that's helping him. So that doesn't mean you don't have anger. You do. You should. But what you'd have to do is look at what he's trying to avoid and then talk about what he's trying to avoid. You know, maybe mention what he's saying to try to avoid it, but mainly get to the, the, main, the main event. Keep your eye on the ball. Yeah. And you had a three-point checklist for how people should respond to Trump's tweets without getting rolled by Trump's tweets. And the first thing on that was first, say what the truth is. Say what's really happening. Mm -hmm. Right. You start by saying what's really happening. Exactly right. Second, you say that there has been an attempt to divert attention from that. And third, very briefly, you say what Trump said in order to divert attention. Say it in just a few seconds and stop and go back to the main event, to back to the real news. Yeah. And back to the argument that Trump's not capable or competent. These are actions that not only do salesmen use, but political people use all the time. I know in my 15 years as a communications director and press secretary and spokesperson, um, your ability to step on a story by announcing a bigger story or to preemptively frame an issue, these are all regular tactics and techniques. What we're seeing now is Trump's ability to pick up his smartphone and immediately shift all of the narrative to where he wants it to be, all of the focus to where he wants it to be. And the tweets shouldn't cause the press to leap. The tweets shouldn't cause everyone else to leap. That's giving Trump a tremendous amount of control. And our proposal isn't to ignore Trump. It's to take the power back to decide what's actually important. Well, your point, Gil, is really important. Um, these things have been around forever. Uh, you know, uh, preemptive framing has always been there in politics. You frame the issue for whoever frames first tends to have an advantage. And politicians have known that, and people, PR people have known it. Uh, it's a general principle. Uh, divert attention, that is step on the main story, as you say, is something that's been done over and over uh, in, throughout in politics. Uh, you know, attacking the messenger is obviously been done throughout uh, politics. Uh, and trial balloons, you know, testing out uh, some idea to see what the reaction is, has also been done. Each one of these is normal operating procedure. It's not like Trump just invented them himself. It's simply that as a simple, as a super salesman, marketing, 
his own himself and uh, what his in his view of the world and what he's trying to do, uh, he naturally does all these things now because Twitter gives him that opportunity. And so, the three parts of the chart again to revisit are first talk about the truth, stay focused on what's really important, whether it's Russia or. Uh, the Republicans robbing everybody to give a tax cut to the wealthy. Second is note that he's attempting to divert attention from this important issue. And the third step is to go right back to the truth. Is that I think that's, that's exactly right. We've got that chart out there and we'll, we'll keep tweeting it so that people keep, keep seeing it. And people have probably been seeing these charts a lot, the Trump Twitter taxonomy and how to respond to Trump's tweets. And there's a reason for that repetition, George. Can you explain a little bit about how – Repetition works on the brain? Well, repetition is crucially important if you're trying to uh, change people's brains. And the reason is this. Um, language means something. Whenever you uh, have a word, it evokes some sort of frame. Uh, anything you say is going to evoke an idea. And all ideas are physical. They're in your brain. They're in brain circuitry. Ideas don't float in the air. They're not magically out there. They are in your brain and brain circuitry. Whenever an idea is activated, or when your brain circuitry is activated to have that idea, that circuitry gets strengthened. It is gets stronger and stronger. The synapses physically get stronger. And the more something is repeated that you hear, the stronger those synapses get. And that, therefore, repetition is crucially important if you want to change people's brains. So, George, we gave some pretty serious criticism to the media and to online influential tweeters this week for their constant wall-to-wall obsession with Trump's tweets. Um, but do you have a further message that you want editors and reporters and influential media people to hear? Yes, uh, and it's very simple. Uh there are very serious issues to be discussed right now. What the Trump administration has done and what the Republican Party has, have, has done is brutal to this country. It's brutal to, uh, you know, not just to the environment in case of environmental issues, but to uh, poor and middle-class people, to uh, employees all over, uh, to... Uh, you know, most of us in, uh, in all sorts of ways, uh, people who need health care, for example, the brutality of what has been done and the importance of it is not fully appreciated and their connections isn't appreciated. If you just make a list of all the different kinds of things and not talk about where they're coming from, they're coming from what we have talked about before as strict father morality, which is one idea that has vast systemic importance. Its, its systemic importance is cognitive. It's part of what uh, Trump and Republican leaders believe and what uh, a certain uh, you know, uh, segment of the population who are supporters of Trump believe. But what it does when it's put into legislation, when it's put into the administration of government, is devastating. And this is not being covered enough. When uh, people in the media spend a lot of time uh, attacking the Trump tweets or, or just discussing what he's mo most recently tweeted, what that does is take away from real journalism, 
real journalism about the most important things in people's lives right now. I want to say one more thing about that. Last year, I was invited to talk to students at the uh, University of California at Berkeley School of Journalism. And um, one of the students uh, got up and pointed out that uh, uh, during the uh, election of 2016, during the campaign, uh, Trump was put on the media nonstop. And the president of CBS, uh, Les Mundres, got up uh, and was asked, uh, what about this? Aren't you just helping Trump? And he said, well, what we're doing when we put Trump on may not be good for the country, but it's very good for CBS because we get higher ratings. And that student looked at me and he said, here I am in graduate school. I want to be an investigative reporter. I am working hard every day learning how to be an investigative reporter. Am I fated to have to work for somebody like that? Am I fated not to be able to go at the truth, but to have to, uh, you know, uh, work for somebody at like Moonves and support what he's putting on the air instead of the real issues? And my reaction was, you must talk about the real issues. There are so many ways you can become an expert on one kind of issue or another, whether it's systemic causation in the environment, whether it's economics, whatever it is, you can become an expert on something. And once you do that, you have a possibility of actually helping the country. Become an expert. George, now we have some Q&A from our uh, readers on Facebook and Twitter, as well as our listeners. The first question comes from Bora Strati in the Netherlands. She asks, why has the discourse on Trump in the American mainstream media descended into ridicule and comedy? Shouldn't his insidious influence on public discourse be the subject of very serious media coverage? Is serious coverage not possible when covering Trump? That's a really good question, and uh, the answer is that Trump himself knows how to control the media, and he controls the media by uh, framing things his way, by diverting attention in various ways, attacking the messenger, the media itself, and also by saying outrageous things, his trial balloons, uh, and those are that's how he controls the media because... The people in the media take those tweets and retweet them. Or, if not retweeting them, they discuss them endlessly. If they were ignored or just discussed you know, for 30 seconds and, and then it gone on to serious matters, uh, then he couldn't control the media. So basically, people who are outraged at Trump will just you know, repeat what he says and then express their outrage. And whenever they express their outrage at Trump, they're helping Trump because they're repeating his name. They're making him the center of attention. You know, if he were not the center of attention, if he were just, you know, off on the side somewhere and you discuss the serious issues, then uh, that would weaken Trump. So that's what we need to do. We need to be able to discuss exactly what you're saying, the serious issues, uh, rather than either laugh at him or express outrage at him uh, or merely uh, have panel discussions on TV about him endlessly. 
this there are many serious issues. He is destroying the government here. He is destroying many of the best things about our country. Uh, he is getting rid of protections. When he gets rid of uh, regulations, regulations are there to protect people, and he keeps getting rid of protections for the public. Uh, he does horrible things uh, like uh, authorized drilling uh, for oil uh, all over the, not only in uh, the national parks and so on, but also off our coasts, which will, uh, you know, pollute our waters and so on, as well as uh, get more oil to be used. Uh, one fear that's come up is uh, the question of, is he trying to get a lot of gas and oil to be stored for a possible war? Is that what's going on with this, or is it simply getting the oil industry uh, to make more money? At any rate, whatever it is, the point is, there are serious issues to be discussed on every front. I think a, a lot of this ridicule coverage is driven by this new Michael Wolff book in which Trump is portrayed as an outrageously ridiculous and incompetent clown. People have been sharing a lot of these uh, chapters and pieces of the book online. In fact, as we were just talking about on the way over here, uh, to record the podcast today, uh, there's been a little bit of controversy because somebody put up a fake page of the book that dealt with uh, primates watching – Trump watching primates on television constantly. And now it's trending, this fake page uh, where Trump supposedly was watching nothing but guerrilla TV shows. turned out to be fake, yet it was trending on Twitter. All sorts of uh, legitimate media people and others were sharing it. And I th so I think what Bohr is also seeing is that in a way that's reminiscent of the campaign, people seem to be perhaps prematurely celebrating the demise of someone they see as a clown and not realizing how dangerous he is, especially now as the net draws tighter around what he's dealing with. Well, that's exactly right. He is a dangerous person. He has accomplished, in turn, with the word accomplished in quotes, uh, accomplished the things he wanted to do by hiring people who, uh, in his administration who do terrible things, and, uh, and thousands of those terrible things. And most of them are not even discussed. Uh, there was a New York Times uh, front page story this week uh, of interviews with people in business who were very happy that uh, he was getting rid of regulations because getting rid of regulations is good for business. It increases profits because then the businesses don't have to worry about uh, the harmful things they do to the public, uh, you know, that would cost them money to prevent. And uh, this is important uh, for a number of reasons. The New York Times itself, in running that story without noticing that regulations are protections for people, that they're there for a reason, to protect the public, uh, are sort of playing into Trump's hand. And this happens a lot. The media just plays into Trump's hand. The reporter who did it is a business reporter and sees his job as going out and asking business people what they think uh, about what Trump is doing. But that just helps Trump. What Trump is doing is harming the public by getting rid of hundreds, if not thousands, of public protections. And uh, what the Times could be doing instead is to say, look, each 
regu regulation is a protection. Let's uh, get a staff of people on the Times to make a list of all the protections that have been gotten rid of. Let's get them out there so people at least know what damage has been done. But even the New York Times uh, isn't doing it. The New York Times itself is running stories on its front page that simply help Trump. Let's switch topics here for a second. Um, we have a question from Zoe Combs. She asks, Could you talk for a minute about systemic thinking? I am fascinated and horrified by the idea that only half the voters accept the idea that there are long chains of events triggered by our continued burning of oil and gas. I've had many a friend say I overthink by wanting to mitigate climate change. What other long chains of events are true for all of us that I can focus on instead? That's a great question. Systemic thinking is everywhere. Uh, to go over it in global warming, let me give you an example. Uh, we now have uh, great freezes in the south and uh, you know on the east coast. How can global warming create a freeze? The answer, and in huge amounts of snowfall. The answer is straightforward if you know something about the uh, environmental system, and it's a system. When you have uh, a lot of warming over the Pacific Ocean, what happens is you get a lot of evaporation. What is evaporation? It is very active, highly energetic molecules of water going into the air, vast amounts of them. So you get huge amounts of energetic water vapor in the air, where does it blow? We have trade winds that blow them northeast. They go up toward the, e toward the east and the north, over the North Pole. When they're over the North Pole in the winter, when it's dark and cold, they turn to snow and ice. Then the snow comes down over the east coast, because that's where the, where the winds blow, and then you get blizzards, huge blizzards, you know, with more and more and more moisture coming down over the east coast, flooding Boston, flooding New York, you know, uh, going as far down as uh, as the south. It's been a bomb cyclone this week on the east coast. Yeah, we have this cyclone on the east coast, you know. Now, the point is that this is systemically caused by global warming. And yet, of course, Donald Trump comes out and says, what do you mean global warming? There's no warming. Look at all this snow. Not understanding uh, or not at least able to probably not understanding that this is systemic causation. Now, systemic causation occurs in our economy all over the place. Uh, you know, for example, uh, take a, a very simple thing uh, that Obama did that was canceled by Trump. But it was the uh, idea that, uh, you know, people should be able to uh, uh, be paid for overtime work that they do, that they, you know, uh, that that should be time and a half for overtime. Well, uh, take for, what does that mean? It means that if they're paid for that, uh, companies will either not want to pay it and have to hire more people, in which case that increases jobs. If it pays them, then they have more money to spend, which is goes into the economy. That has effects all over the economy in either case. Those are systemic effects in our, in, in our economy. Our economy has huge numbers of systemic effects. Take the tax law. The tax law was, in fact, set up to have systemic effects. 93% of the so-called tax cut went, I'm mean, sorry, it's 83%, I got it wrong, 83% of the tax cut 
went to the top 1% of wealth in this country. That's out of $1.5 trillion, $1.2 trillion was taken to and given to the top 1%. Now, when taxes are uh, given to uh, you know, the top 1%, not the full 100%, what happens? That money is not available for the rest of us. It is not available to do all the things that are needed in our, in our society, whether it's infrastructure or health care or all sorts of other things that are needed uh, there. And when that happens, you get the effect uh, that, uh, you know, basically not giving is like taking away when it comes to money because money is fungible. The fungibility of money means that not giving the money that should be appropriated for taxes for everybody, it should go to everybody, when that's equivalent to taking it away from yeah. everybody. Well, an interesting thought occurs to me in terms of systemic causation. The Republicans have a very clear form of systemic causation that they, that they all believe in and that's completely illustrated in their recent tax bill. They call it trickle-down economics. The idea, the, the false and completely debunked idea that making rich people richer is good for poor people and working people and the middle class, when actually economic stimulus, the, the actual systemic effect is that it springs up from the grassroots, that when more people have money, when people are working and can afford things, the systemic effect of that is to make the economy stronger and more prosperous. So in a way, the Republicans, while they deny and uh, lie about systemic causation on the, the climate issue, they are actually preaching it constantly on the economic issue. Would you agree with that, or did I mess well, that up? Absolutely, and, uh, and it's interesting to see uh, what happened when uh, Trump's major economic uh, advisor spoke to a group, a uh, large group of uh, CEOs, and he asked them, uh, which of you are going to use the money that you'll get by uh, our reduction of uh, corporate taxes, which of you will use it to uh, pay your employees more or to hire more jobs or to invest uh, in um, you know, more operations that will lead to more jobs? And hardly anybody raised their hand. When they were surveyed afterwards about where they would actually use the money, what they said was, well, one, uh, we will buy back stock, thereby raising our stock prices and our profits. That's one thing we'll do. Uh, or we'll just take it and save it up for ourselves. I mean, mainly, they were not going to use it in the supposed systemic causation way that was put forth uh, by uh, as a justification for the tax cut. It was going directly into their own pockets and bank accounts. Exactly, which is a different systemic form mm -hmm. of causation. Also, maybe a direct form um, yeah. of robbery. <laughs> yeah. um, and... I think we're going to need to do a whole podcast at some point on systemic causation and bring in some folks also to talk with us about climate. Our next question is from Willie Fleetwood. If every attack on the so-called president makes him look like a fighter to his fans, how do we win? Well, first of all, um, it's very important to address people who are not just his fans. His fans are only 37% plus or minus 2 uh, in the country. That leaves the rest of the country who are not his fans. 
But in terms of his fans, what is it that has to be addressed? Uh, first, betrayal of trust. His fans see themselves as patriotic Americans. If it shows up, as it will ultimately from the Mueller investigations, that uh, he has been laundering money, that his businesses are money laundering operations, uh, and that uh, and that these involve money from Russia, that uh, therefore what's been happening is that his uh, he has been basically selling out the country, and selling out the country is uh, not something that most Americans, even those who identify with his fans, are going to be happy about. You know, the idea that you sell out your country for money is not something by anybody who sees themselves as really good patriotic Americans, no matter whether they're Republicans or Democrats. Uh, it's important that people come to see that he's been selling out the country, that this idea is there, and it has to grow. That is, they have to understand that uh, there is something horrible about selling out the country, something horrific to them and their own idea of themselves as Americans, that they are being betrayed. The idea that he's making America great is not the case. He is selling out our country to a foreign power for the sake of getting rich. And that is something that's, um, you know, that undermines him tremendously. That will come out eventually, but when it comes out just from, from the Mueller investigation is, um, you know, maybe may not be as powerful as it coming out in general from the population around us because we see the evidence of this everywhere. Yeah, I think also applying the our voices in the critique to not just Trump, but also to what the Republicans are actually doing. I think that's right. The Republicans are Trump's apprentices in a major way. Uh, Trump has what we've, I've been calling strict father morality. That is, he believes that uh, all that's involved is being strong and winning and doing things on your own, and therefore uh, the best people are the people who have won out over time. And that gives you his moral hierarchy, which is the Republican hierarchy that determines uh, what they do. That moral hierarchy, as we've gone over, is uh, God above man. The religion has won out. Uh, man above nature. Therefore, uh, we are conquering nature and we should go on doing it. Drill everywhere. Uh, you know, don't worry about global warming. Just, you know, make your profit, period. Do it for your benefit. Uh, the, the rich over the poor. The rich are seen as more disciplined and deserving of their money. Uh, the poor are just uh, seen as uh, lazy. You know, uh, all of their conditions of existence in society are not mentioned, are not considered. Uh, he has in this hier hierarchy uh, Western culture over non-Western culture. Western culture has won out, uh, and America, therefore, over other nations. And it goes on. Uh, men over women. You see that everywhere in the Trump world. Uh, you have uh, whites over non-whites. All of the white supremacy is, is in there. Uh, you have Christians over non-Christians, the hatred of Muslims, the anti-Semitism that you see, uh, and uh, straights over gays, as you, know, as you see in uh, Trump's uh, 
trying to, uh, you know, ban transgender people from the military. This happens all over in, you know, not just Trump world, but it's in Republican legislation. If you start going through Republican legislation, there is Republican legislation from uh, uh, the you know, right-wing uh, Christian groups uh, about abortion, for example, and their view of, uh, you know, that the, the fetus begins with conception and, uh, you know, etc. cetera. Uh, you have it uh, in um, uh, all sorts of views about corporations, and as you saw in the tax law. Uh, and also about uh, the uh, oil drilling for for oil companies, uh, you saw it in uh, Trump's getting rid of uh, the uh, rule of that the uh, uh, drug administration, Food and Drug Administration, uh, has to uh, uh, approve by testing all new drugs. He said, "No, we don't have to do that." Well, it turns out that when they test drugs in the past, when they've done that for whether a drug is effective, 90% of the drugs fail, and they don't go on the market. Now we're going to get a lot of drugs that whose efficacy doesn't work, that aren't there, going on to the market. It'll, you know, in a while, it'll be the case that uh, in 90% of the cases, you won't know if, you're, if any drug you buy will be effective. So I think part of that is show people what the Republicans – while Trump is creating distractions, are actually doing to people, including people you know, including people you care about, including people in your community and people you love in your family. Uh, with the more, as we spoke about earlier, the more everyone focuses on Trump and the comedy and the drama, uh, the less you're looking at the Republicans with their hands in your pocket. And that's part of it. What's happening with Trump is very serious, but we have an investigation into that. Um, but we can't just keep the focus on Trump because that is accomplishing his aims to some degree and the aims of the Republican Party, which wants you to look in another direction while they do what they're doing under the cover of this. Exactly. They are Trump's apprentices. And what they're doing is uh, horrible things at every level in this country. Uh, and the more we uh, attack Trump, it just makes Trump more powerful because it makes him larger than life. It makes him the center of attention and takes attention away from what the Republicans are doing and what the members of the Trump administration are doing. Keep your eye on the ball, folks. One more question, George. Um, you have a lot of readers in Iran. Um, we always see on Twitter and on Facebook the Iranian students are very avid readers of your work. Someone asked this week on social media, what is your message to the people of Iran today who are protesting against their government in, in the streets? Uh, as a professor of cognitive science and linguistics, I have some former students in Iran who are marvelous people, brilliant people. I have uh, people who have followed my academic work in Iran, and uh, I've given Skype lectures to them uh, just simply about linguistics, not about politics at all. But my general uh, experience with people from Iran uh, and in Iran has been that they are uniformly wonderful people. You know, I know so many people there who are brilliant, who are open, who want to learn whatever they can, uh, who uh, want to be free. 
who want to be free to pursue their dreams and pursue what they can, and many of them are, and that's interesting. There are many people who are very well educated in Iran and have managed to get well educated even in this situation. Uh, they have incredible talents, incredible energy, and a wonderful feelings for other people, so that the people of Iran uh, uh, really need a democracy. They really need openness. They really need the chance to fu fulfill themselves in every possible way. Uh, and what that means in terms of the current demonstrations is that they need to be better focused. I think the demonstrations need to be not necessarily negative, as negatively as they may feel about the leaders of Iran, but positive about the possibilities of their country, about what they love about their country and their countrymen, about what they love about what they've learned, uh, about what they love about the possibilities of their lives and of the possibility of their country. I think that by taking every negative thing that you can say and say, okay, what is the corresponding flip side of that? What is the, pos the positive thing that is being held back and that needs to be open to make Iran a greater country, a better country for all of its people, and a better country for other people in the world? Because Iran has the possibility of not just being good for Iranians, but really uh, the people of Iran are such good people as a whole, such well-educated people, that they can do good things for the world. I love Iranians. That's our last question for the day, and uh, we will see you all next time on FrameLab.